before I begin, I just want to recognize a couple individuals who this morning you probably recognize them as you're coming in. It's our youth, and here's why. Because this is what we consider a fifth Sunday, which means October had five Sundays, and one thing we do as a church is on fifth Sundays, we allowed the youth to serve as the host team. So today, while they're raining, many of them are running out there with umbrellas, they're greeting you as you come in. If you're appreciative of that, can you just show some of that? Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Now, before we, we dive into our text, would you just join me in a moment of prayer, please? Jesus, we recognize that you are here. And we've come here with burdens, with battles that were fought this week, some with victory, some with defeat. And we come now to a sacred moment as we open up your word and we look for something that will speak to our souls this morning. And so we're grateful that we can be in your presence now. And we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear the truth that is in your scripture, Father. That we might look to apply it to the core of our being so that it might flavor our tongues and our life the rest of this week. Father, we know you are good enough to do this. And we ask that this might be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when I was in college, I had four roommates, and there was this trend that started to happen where every time I had a roommate, within a year of us rooming together, they end up finding the love of their life, and they end up getting married within a year's time frame. So the first time, it was special. The second time, it was a coincidence. By the third and fourth, I was starting to think, I need to start charging guys to room with me. Like, I'm just saying, like here, if this whole pastoring thing doesn't work out, I know what I can fall back on as a matchmaker, apparently, right? In fact, there's this one guy who, my first roommate, his name, uh, well, actually, I'm not going to mention his name, uh, just for his security reasons, uh, but me and him got really close. He was one of my best friends in college. He was a guy who everyone loved. You know, one of those individuals where you're like, you're just drawn to him like a moth to a flame. I'm talking to the point that people would come and knock on our door at two and three in the morning just because they wanted to hang out with him, right? Because he was the kind of guy who was incredibly intelligent, incredibly funny. He was the kind of guy that within an hour of being with him, you always walked away with some crazy story you can tell other people of the time that you were hanging out with him, right? Because people just loved him. In fact, the first time he ever met my wife, Jody, we were dating. He didn't believe that I had a girlfriend. So the first time he saw her, we were in this crowded public space, and he comes running up to her, and I think he kind of like picked her up and spun her around and was yelling and screaming, Mason, you really do have a girlfriend. You weren't making her up. Jody loves to bring that up all the time. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. People loved to be around him, right? And I remember there were many times we would stay up to about dawn just talking about life, and I was just so impressed with this guy's wisdom and how he looked at life. And I was like, man, I just want to be a little bit like you in the way he was able to be attractional, and people enjoy being around him, people felt better for being around him. But then I remember one night... He said something that just kind of rocked my world a little bit. 
We were seniors, we were getting ready to graduate, and all of us seniors, we were off campus at this cabin because we were working on this project that kind of determined whether or not we graduated, and, and we had just finished it, and everyone's kind of celebrating, and, and me and him uh, were in this cabin, we decided we're just going to hang out on the front porch, get away from all the noise, and, and we're just out there talking, looking at the stars, and I think a part of us realized this was us saying goodbye to one another. And as we're reminiscing over the past four years together, he said something that, like I said, just shocked me. He looked at me and he said, Mason, I don't know who I am. And I don't know what I can offer to people. And I was just blown away. I was like, man, if you could just see yourself the way I see you, you wouldn't be saying that. Like, this is the guy that, like, everyone felt better for being around him. And at this moment, he was honest. He's like, I don't know who I am. But here's what I've come to know. He's not the only one who feels that way. In fact, most adults, not just kids, but most adults, I think if you're honest, you admit saying, hey, sometimes you just don't know who you are. I was reminded of that about a week ago when I was on this annual pastor's retreat. You guys know I take it every year around this time of year where I go up in the mountains and I'm with all these other pastors and we're starting our introductions and we were challenged to introduce ourselves without saying what we do or our relationship status. And let me tell you, guys really struggled with that. Like, would you struggle with that as well if someone's like, who are you, but don't tell me what you do or that you're married or have kids or anything like that? Like, that would be a really tough question to answer, right? Do you know who you are? And that's what we're going to kind of try to uh, tackle. It's a huge topic. We're not going to be able to hit all of it, but we're just going to try to scratch the surface because here's this honest, comforting thing, is that there's this guy named Paul who writes some encouragement to us in this regard. But here's where my belief comes in this and why this is so important. And this is my personal philosophy. You don't have to agree with this. This doesn't come from the Bible. But here's what I believe, that we cannot know who we are meant to be until we know who we are presently. And so much of our series right now, we're asking the question of how we can change into the people that God has called us to be, the people that we were meant to be. But in order for that to happen, I think personally, you've got to know where you're starting at. And think about it. You know this is true. Like if you're doing a building project, you've got to know where you're starting to build, right? Or if you're doing a race, you've got to know where the starting line is. Or if you're trying to go to school and achieve something, to achieve a degree or achieve a job, you've got to know where you're starting out, Right? And so I personally think, and you might disagree with this, but this is my personal philosophy, that, that we cannot know who we're meant to be until we know who we are presently. And once again, Paul's going to offer some wisdom on this. But I need to be cautious here. First off, those of you who, who might be guests or you might not be a follower of Jesus, you might be a little bit skeptical. You're like, Mason, I don't know if I fully buy into this. I'm just here because I'm curious or I was dragged here by someone else. Look, first off, I love that you're here. I'm not pressuring you at all to believe what I'm believing and things like that. But I need to be very clear about something. The text we're looking at is going to sound very offensive this morning. And truth, the gospel is incredibly offensive. But this text, let me tell you, it's going to say things that are not politically correct in this climate. But Paul is going to be so vivid with some hateful language in some ways because he's trying to present a great truth that might very well change your life today. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, what we're going to talk about could very well change your life today. 
So if you'll just bear with me as we wade through some very rude and offensive comments to see what Paul is getting at of how he's laying out this groundwork to present something that is so life-changing, you'll appreciate it by the end, okay? So we need to look at it. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Now let me give you a quick context of what's going on, all right? So Paul has just laid out to us the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then in chapter 4, he turns the page. And he's like, okay, so now you're in this community of people who are following Jesus, right? So things are going to look a little bit differently now because now you're part of a new community, therefore you should have a new life because you're part of something bigger than that. You're part of something bigger than you. And God is at work in this. Everyone's awake right now, right? (laughs) All right, so with that, let's dive into Scripture and see what Paul has to say. So in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up at verse 17, here's what Paul says. He says, now this I say in testifying the Lord, which is basically Paul saying, what I'm about to tell you is super important, and it's come from God. So this is his, thus saith the Lord, if you're reading King James or anything like that, right? So he says, basically, I got this message from God, and here it is, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Right, now in this letter, especially come chapter 4, Paul's been using this terminology called walk to refer to how you live your life. So he's like, hey, live your life in a way that is completely different than the Gentiles. Now, if you're new to church or you're not familiar with what Gentiles are, there's a long explanation, but let me make it super simple. He's basically using this word and this context to refer to those who aren't Jesus followers. So he's like, hey, you're now a Jesus follower, so don't live your life looking like you're not a Jesus follower, okay? Because who you are now in Christ should not align with who you were before Christ. Things should be different now. Now, here's, that's really offensive because he's basically pointing out the way other people live, and he's like, don't look like them. Don't act like them. Don't go to the same places they go to, right? And that's what we think of when we think of don't walk like a non-follower of Jesus, right? So you're probably thinking, okay, Mason, you're about to get into a sermon talking to me about don't go to this place. I need to do this with my time and my money and my energy, and, and I need to make sure I, I do this with my sexuality. I need to do this with my marriage. I need to do this with my parenting. I need to do this with my money. And Paul's going to talk about all those things in his letter, but he's first going to talk about something that starts at the beginning. That if we want to change and to be who God has called us to be, there's a starting point to this, this transformation. And it's what is oftentimes missed, right? Like we look at the outside symptoms, so to speak, the outside activities, and we're like, we got to change these things. But for Paul, there's a starting point that's oftentimes much more neglected because it's so much harder to change. But here's where he says that we need to change how we live. If we're followers of Jesus, here's how he says. It's in continuing in verse 17, that we need to be different than the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. Now, here's where it gets really offensive, right? All right, so if you were like, man, earlier when he said, don't look like them, that looked offensive, well, it's only going to get a little bit worse, unfortunately. Because here, basically, he's saying, look, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the way you thought beforehand was corrupted. Or and if maybe if this was, you know, modern-day street language, you'd be like, don't be like all of them because how they think is stupid, Right? And I'm not synthesizing Paul. I'm just saying, like, he's being rather blunt here. He's like, like, their way of thinking is all futile. He goes to explain it in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from their life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. 
Each one of those phrases is incredibly rude and offensive. Each one of those phrases alone, you're probably like, man, Paul, if you said that in a crowded space, someone would punch you, right? Or they would kill you. And it's probably a good thing he's already in prison awaiting to die, right? So he's like, man, I can say whatever I want. It's not going to change the narrative here, right? But here he's saying this, and you stack all these together, it's incredibly offensive. Because he's basically saying the way the rest of the world thinks is vain and meaningless. Now here's why I said, remember, that this is going to be really uncomfortable. That this is going to be something that you might not want to hear. Especially if you're not a follower of especially if you feel a little skeptical. And I, I'm not apologizing for Paul, but once again, I'm stressing that he is saying some very rude things on purpose because he's building up to something very important. And he says, this is how the rest of the world thinks. It's very self-centered, self-focused. It's unhealthy in the way it thinks. And here's the results he talks about. In verse 19, he says, and they have become callous which is a way of saying that their way of thinking leads to them trying to numb themselves, right? Now, we see this all the time in the world. It's partially why we're so addicted to our phones, right, and why we get on social media, because we're trying to numb ourselves to whatever reality that is causing us pain right now. And he says, this is how the world acts. It makes itself numb and callous, and therefore it turns a blind eye to injustice and pain around us because we don't like to deal with it. We don't like to deal with big questions and and scary emotions and things like that. So we'd rather numb ourselves. And here's what he says when we do this. Here's the result. He says that therefore they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now here's the thing. Most people when they hear a verse like this, they think, okay, here's where the pastor is going to start telling us all the bad things we've ever done and then say, go out and do better and that's it. And if that is your experience with church, I'm sorry. That's not what Paul is getting at. What he's pointing out, he's like, look, when we try to numb ourselves, we open ourselves up to make some really unhealthy actions because unhealthy thoughts lead to unhealthy actions. And if he's sitting here talking about, like, look how they think. It's very self-centered. It's very self-focused. It is unhealthy in its ways of thinking. And what does it result in? Unhealthy actions. Now, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you know this to be true for yourself. Like, maybe for you, you find yourself like you've crippled your momentum in life. Like, you're not moving forward in life. You're not accomplishing anything in life because what you think about yourself is like, it's something very insecure. It's something very dark. Like, maybe for you, you're like, man, I will never have the marriage of my dreams. Or I'll never achieve that goal in my life. I'll never do this or that. Man, like I'm a nobody. No one loves me. No one cares for me. No one wants me around them. If that's your way of thinking, you'll find yourself doing things that follow that pattern. Because unhealthy actions are a result of unhealthy thoughts. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's like, look, the rest of the world, they have some very unhealthy thoughts. It leads to some unhealthy actions. And it's also to the other extreme, where if your thoughts are all about yourself, it's all about puffing yourself up, it's all about your ego, then that's not going to be good either. Nothing good comes from this way of thinking about yourself, about others, right? And he's like, this is how the rest of the world thinks. No good comes of it. And so it's very clear, Paul's stressing, is like something has got to change. That if we want to see the gospel change the world, if we want to see it change our community, if we want to see it change so much around us, and it's got to start with how we think. 
Because it's not enough to go around saying, stop cheating on your spouse, or stop lying, or stop gossiping, or stop speaking so hatefully to others. Paul knows that doesn't do any good when you tell people to stop doing something on the outside. He knows change has to happen first on the inside. And change happens with how we change our thinking because he knows that change only comes by bringing our thinking into conformity with our new identity in Christ. That's why he stresses so much in the very next verse. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He's drawn a line in the sand. He's like, look at how the rest of the world thinks and how it produces nothing but unhealthy results. But you've learned something different. You have a new identity. Let me put it super simple here. He's basically saying followers of Jesus have a new identity based on their relationship to Christ that changes how they think about themselves. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're sitting there telling yourself, man, I'm trash, I'm nobody, I'm never going to do anything good in this world. God, you know, sure, he might love me, but he's forgotten about me. I'm just the little redheaded stepchild stuffed into the closet, you know, as that terrible analogy goes, whatever. If that's your thinking, man, imagine how much that breaks God's heart. He's saying, look, you've learned something new. Now, he even stresses this in verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. All right, now we can appreciate that being a joke from Paul. Because think about it. He's four chapters in to a letter where almost every verse he's talked about Jesus, and he stops in chapter four, and he's like, assuming you guys have been paying attention to what we've been talking about, right? Like, this is Paul's statement. He's like, is anyone out there? Is anyone listening, right? We've been talking about this guy named Jesus. He's rather a big deal, right? He changed everything, and therefore he should be able to change how you think about yourself, how you think about others, how you think about your situation in life. Like, this is a joke from Paul in many ways. Because he's referring to this Jesus. The one who, the more we get to know him, as we gather as a community and we study what he has to say, and we, we ask ourselves, man, how does this look like in my life? You know what? We're seeing that this Jesus, who had every right to be selfish, chose instead to be selfless for our benefit. We see that he thought differently than us. And then he invites that same transformation to take place in us. So that we can learn to think like Jesus. That's why Paul urges us in verse 22. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So his imagery here is like a butterfly, like emerging from its cocoon, right? And he's like, put away who you used to be and take on who you are now in Jesus. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Now there's this imagery here that he uses pretty much in almost all of his letters. One of the famous ones is Romans. And he uses this to describe kind of like our old nature, like referring to Adam. Right? You might remember the Adam story, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Let me remind you in case you don't remember, right? So Adam and Eve, they're the first humans created, and God's like, hey, I love you. I want to do great things through you. This is awesome. Just don't eat from this tree. Just trust me on this, right? Just trust that I know what's best for you. And as soon as God walks away, Adam's like, yeah, well, forget that. Right? I know what's best for me, right? And so I'm going to go and do this, and the world was turned into turmoil, chaos. Right? That's Mason's paraphrase. It probably doesn't say it word for word like that, but that's Mason's paraphrase. And here's what I know is true. You've experienced the same thing in your life. Right? Like you've done things in your life that you thought was best for you, 
And what did it result in? A lot of broken relationships, a lot of hurt, a lot of people upset with you, a lot of things you're like, man, I wish I could take that back. This is what Paul is talking about. This is our old nature. It's very self-centered. It's very self-focused. It's very self-abusing. But he's like, look, we've given a, been given a great new thing, a new identity. And we need to grow into this. And our identity in Christ, therefore, is, vital, is a vital perspective and enabling factor to how we live our lives. That's why he stresses in verse 23, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So that how we think about ourselves and the world has got to change. Look, it's not enough to start saying, stop doing what you're doing. Like how many of you, don't raise your hands, okay, this is a safe place, don't raise your hand, but would say that when you mess up, like you, you lied, you cheated on your diet, you know, you, you gossiped, you said something mean, you lost your temper again, or maybe you fell into that secret addiction all over again, you beat yourself up over it. You tell yourself, man, I hate myself. I can't believe I did this. Oh, this is terrible. If everyone knew what I just did, man, they'd be so disappointed, right? We shame ourselves. Paul's point is that doesn't help anything. That's not a healthy way of thinking. Rather, instead, our minds should be thinking differently about the grace and mercy of Jesus that he offers to us. And let me tell you, this on a little side note rant, for those of you who might be struggling to say with an issue like pornography, this is a crucial way of finding healing in this, is asking, why are you going to this? What are you trying to numb? What are you trying to avoid? Right? This is so important that we change the way we think. That's why Paul stresses in this last verse, verse 24, he says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The whole narrative of the Bible is wrapped up into that verse right there. So think about this, right? So God creates humanity, and he creates them to be good and to have a purpose. You see that in Genesis chapter 1, that God loves human beings. He's created this wonderful world for them. He's told them to, to be his stewards, to go out and fill this world with more of his beauty and creation, to, to be representatives to him. Why? Because they're made in his image. And then... Humanity was like, nope, not doing that. We've got our own way of doing things. And what do we do? We cause a whole lot of chaos. We cause a whole lot of pain and problem because the people who are made in the image of God, we have failed to be what God called us to be. And now here's where Paul is saying, look, God has done something new in Jesus. So that you who have trust in Him, who are followers in Him, God is restoring what was broken inside you. And that starts how we think about ourselves. And he's laying this out, that this is a great work that God's doing, that if we want to change these other areas of our lives, it's got to start with how we think. How you think about you. And then how you think about others. And then how you think about your situation. That that should be the first characteristic that is different about you than someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you know Jesus. And that should change everything. And that's why we stress all the time here that it, like, our relationship with Jesus is only real if it is affecting every aspect of our lives. This isn't something that we just say as a, a weekend, you know, check off the box and go off your own way, things like that. And if that's you, great. Like, okay, I'm glad you're here. But I want you to know that God wants more from you. 
And he wants to change the way you're thinking about yourself. He wants to change the way you think about others. Because there's life here. And Paul has laid out all of this like nasty, vivid language to talk about like this is how we used to think. But God has presented a new opportunity to us. To have his message, his word, seep down deep into us. Because we've learned Christ. We've gotten intimate with him. We have a personal relationship with the one who knows us all better than we know ourselves. And we're therefore seeking to know him more and more and more. And in that we find out who we really are. Which is the main focus of this entire passage and everything. That knowing who you are determines how you will live your life. Knowing who you are determines how you will live your life. Here's what's really cool. Modern psychology has finally caught on to this, right? I think the, the term is cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know. Um, a couple of experts in the room will tell you that, right? And so their whole therapy aspect is changing the way you think to result in well, a better result in your life. And get this, Paul was 2,000 years ahead of his time. Right? Like he says this in most of his letters. He says this in Ephesians, of course, and in Corinthians. He's more known for saying it in the book of Philippians that if we change the way we think, we will have a different result in life. If we change how we view ourselves, we start to see ourselves as God sees us, it's going to result in a different way of life. And that's what is so beautiful. <laughs> like modern day psychology is just now catching up. But it makes us ask the question once again do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Remember, I said, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can get something from this. Because even if you're not a follower of Jesus, how you live your life, even if you're not fully aware of it, your brain partially is that you are living your life according to how you think you are. And what we're offering here is a better narrative. What narrative are you telling? Here's the beautiful thing as a Jesus follower. You know Jesus, Right? We've been presented to him so much in this letter. Like we are those, and we know that we are those who are recipients of God's grace and mercy. We are those wrapped up in part of God's plan to fix this world. We are those who are subject to a gracious and ever loving and serving king. We are those who have been given redemption and an endless amount of second chances. We are those who have been given a powerful message about how much we matter and are empowered to live selflessly to share love and grace and mercy with others. And that's just in Ephesians. It's this big declaration that we know as Jesus follows that God has looked at over all of creation and he has sought to be with us, to look at us and shout one message, you are mine. And yet we so oftentimes just throw that to the curb. Come Monday morning, the phone starts ringing, you got a boss who's on your tail, you missed a, a test or whatever. And man, we're so hard on ourselves. Imagine, imagine what would God do through us if we changed the way we thought about ourselves. Imagine if we were to make ourselves more open to the Holy Spirit in our lives. That this wasn't just a Sunday morning thing. Imagine. What's beautiful is we see that this has happened before. The first century church, guess what? They didn't have the written Bible. The Bible wasn't fully composed until about the fourth century. But for the first 400 years, the church 
rocked the world. They ended the Roman Empire. Not by fighting, not by being the stronger opponent, but by knowing who they were in Christ and then living it out. And we have such better tools at our hands. Maybe we open it up on Sunday. You want to know who you are? You've got to get in this. And I'm not talking about just read it for like five, ten minutes on your way to work or something like that. I'm talking about meditate on it. Chew on it. Because when you know who you are, that's going to determine how you live your life. That's going to determine how you treat others. How you treat yourself. It's going to determine what values you live by and what legacy you leave behind. And I'm going to be very clear. There's some of you who you don't know Jesus. And yes, I know at the beginning I said I wasn't going to press you, but look, I, I want you to know that there is a God who loves you, who died on a cross for you, who rose again, and wants you to be part of his family. And some of you, you've been going to church your entire life, and you need to hear that. Because you never surrendered in, to get to know this Jesus. And maybe this morning is where the life change happens. Maybe this morning is when, before you walk out of the door, you need to get right with God today. And there are some of you who already have a relationship with Jesus, but how you think about yourself is so crippling. Like, it hurts me to see. Because I imagine what God would do through you if you just changed the way you thought about yourself. And if you saw yourself how Jesus sees you. But instead, even though we're Jesus followers, so oftentimes we lean back into that futility of our minds, that old pattern. And maybe today is the day that changes. Maybe today, instead of constantly praying to God, God, won't you please change my situation? Won't you please take this addiction away from me? God, won't you please help me just to control my temper? Why don't you instead pray a deeper, braver prayer? God, would you help me to know you? so that I would know myself. Won't you pray with me? Jesus, it is so good to know you. It's so good to know how gracious and merciful you are. And it's so good to know that you didn't just save us for heaven. You, you desire for us to be today who we are meant to be. And Father, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I slip into just a, a faulty, unhealthy way of thinking sometimes. And I have my fair share of unhealthy actions and results that have arisen because of it. And so I don't speak today as someone who's mastered this, but someone who so desperately wants to know you and be known by you and to know who I am meant to be in you. And I hope I'm not the only one in here. And so right now, Father, I just want to encourage those who maybe in this room don't have a relationship with you that today might be a turning point for them. That in this moment that you are speaking to their hearts, and you're either saying, you are mine, or you're saying, I could be yours. 
And if there are those in this room who don't have a relationship with you, I want to just invite them to pray this prayer with them right now. Father, we recognize that we are sinners, that we have a way of just destroying ourselves sometimes. And we can't escape the consequences of this because we have wronged you and we have failed to be who we are meant to be. We thought better than you or we thought we knew better than you. But Father, we trust trust Him as our Messiah, our Savior, and our King. And we surrender our lives to Him. And I pray that if there are those in this room who maybe prayed that prayer for the first time in their life, Father, I want to celebrate that with you. And ask that they would just make themselves known so we can celebrate with them. But for others in this room, Father, who I know are just beating themselves up all the time, would you give us clarity see ourselves the way that you see us. Be more open and inviting to the Holy Spirit to change the way we think. So that it might change our lives. Thank you, Father. In your name I pray.